I wonder how many of you are familiar with Wales. That's the uh, country of Wales. <laughs> Spelt, as I hope you know, without an H to differentiate it from those large marine creatures. And Wales is one of the four countries that comprise the United Kingdom, for a little bit longer at least. Who knows what's going to happen with Brexit. And as an aside, you might not know that British Unitarianism is actually bilingual because there are a great many congregations in the Welsh Valleys where everything, all of the worship and everything, is conducted exclusively in the Welsh language. Anyway, Wales is a very beautiful, uh, small, not particularly well populated country to the west of England. And uh, in the north, in the northwest, is a very rugged area of known, it's, one of, it's a national park known as Snowdonia. It's very beautiful, it's one of the first national parks in Great Britain. And uh, it's rugged, it was a, uh, the main industry used to be slate mining, so you can imagine it's very rugged, rocky, inhospitable, some of the valleys are gorgeous, most of the houses are slate miners' houses, so they're fairly modest, but it's a very beautiful part of the world. And the, most, uh, the highest summit in Snowdonia, you'll be amazed to know, is called Mount Snowdon. <laughs> I've climbed Mount Snowdon twice. The first time was about 35 years ago, and my then mother-in-law was making her first visit to England from uh, where she lived in Massachusetts. And we'd spent a few days up in the Lake District in the northwest of England, also a beautiful, beautiful part of the, of the country, hiking and climbing. And during those few days, I'd picked up a bit of a cold. Well, actually, it was a terrible cold. It was probably near a bad case of man flu or double pneumonia. Anyway, I, in a true man style, I was feeling a bit sorry for myself, but there was no way I was going to be outdone by my mother-in-law. <laughs> and so we set off one day uh, when we were staying in North Wales to climb Mount Snowdon. And we, we decided to take, up, take the Watkin Path. Now the Watkin Path was the first path officially opened up to Mount Snowdon. It was opened in 1892 by the then Prime Minister, William Gladstone, who climbed about halfway up the path and then by a huge rock, and there's still a plaque embedded into the rock, commemorating this occasion in 1892 when Gladstone officially opened and dedicated the path. He was then aged 83 years old. Brian? <laughs> Incidentally, I, I was rather surprised that he acknowledged in the introduction that I'm his son-in-law. Normally, when we're in public, he pretends he doesn't know me at all. <laughs> so we were... Uh, my, my wife, my mother-in-law and I were climbing up the Watkin Path and I was feeling you know, a bit under the weather. But as I say, I was not going to be outdone by my mother-in-law, not least of which because she was old. <laughs> she was really old. I mean, she was like 50. <laughs> so we're trudging along. And those of you who have ever climbed uh, a mountain or up a mountain path will know 
that there are all kinds of false summits. You, you're looking up and you think, well, we're almost there, and then you get there and you realize it's just kind of tapering off a little bit, and then there's another false summit. And, and sometimes, and so it can be very discouraging when you think you're there and then you realize you've got a long way still to go. And sometimes it's not just like this with sort of gradual ascent, but you get up here and then you've got to go all the way down into a valley, you lose all of that elevation and then you've got to start going up again. But you know that if you stick to the path that has been forged by countless people before you, you know that if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, eventually you will get to the summit. It, you might be tired, you might be discouraged, you might feel like you want to give up, but if you keep going, you know you will get there. So we kept going and we kept going and we finally made it to the summit just in time for the, this spectacular view of about 20 yards because the mist just <laughs> came in. But what I discovered, when I, which I did not know when I got to the summit, coming up the other side of the hill is a cog railway. <laughs> so there had I been slaving and slogging away for like, several hours of this climb. Other people had just paid their pound or two and had ridden up in this cog railway. But as you know, they might have had the same view but the real joy of reaching the summit is reaching the summit. The sense of accomplishment that you have finally got there. Anybody can get in a cog railway and go to the top. But there's a far greater joy and sense of achievement if you've had to work some to get there. So that was 35 or so years ago. The second time I climbed uh, Mount Snowden was, I think it's seven or eight years ago, when two friends from New Hampshire came over to visit. And they were both pretty outdoorsy types. And we decided we were going to climb Mount Snowden. And we just looked at a map and said, yeah, we'll go up that trail and then we'll loop back this trail. You know, that'll, that'll be a lovely day out. Had no idea what we were letting ourselves in for. Fortunately, it was a beautiful day, and we set off on this trail called Kribgoch, not realizing how much danger we were putting ourselves into, because Kribgoch Trail goes, it's quite steep and very rugged and rocky, you're kind of clambering up rocks at points. Oh, I also had my black lab dog with me. Um, but then there's this long, long ridge which is about this wide, rocky and slippery, and each side there's pretty much a sheer drop of hundreds of feet. Oh dear. <laughs> well, we were stubborn, we were not going to turn around, so we just kept going along this trail which was about as wide as this aisleway here, pretty much precipitous drop, hundreds of feet to the, to the bottom. And we learn later, many people die 
Each year there are, there are fatalities on that trail, either because people lose their footing and because it's slippery or wet and they fall, a sudden wind will blow up and blow them off. It's a dangerous way to get to the summit. But we made it. So twice I've now climbed Mount Snowden, twice I've got to the summit, once on this kind of much more gentle, safe, predictable way where you just knew that if you just kept going, you knew you were going to get there, however long it might take. The second, a much more precarious and dangerous route, and some people who take that route don't make it. But you also know that if you're part of a group and you have a collective ambition to get to the summit as a collective, then although some of you might fall by the wayside, literally, <laughs> the group will still achieve the goal. If your identity is with the group, whether or not you as the individual make it to the top is secondary. And that applies often in times of war, perhaps, or times of great prolonged social action. You know that you might not get to the summit, but if you're part of the group that keeps on going, then eventually you trust that some of you will. I want to talk for a moment about a political leader whom history will remember as perhaps the most corrupt, cruel and incompetent ever, mendacious, duplicitous, self-aggrandizing, vain. History will remember this political leader as the worst of all of those things. I'm talking, of course, about Sisyphus, the, uh, the king of ancient Corinth, who was all of those things, mendacious, duplicitous, vainglorious, narcissistic. Who would ever think that a political leader could be such a thing? <laughs> and finally, he had annoyed Zeus one time too many. And Zeus thought it was time that Sisyphus was punished. And as you probably know, the punishment was that Sisyphus was condemned to roll this boulder up a, a hillside, almost get to the summit, and then the boulder would roll back down to the bottom, and Sisyphus would have to go straight back and start rolling the boulder straight back up to the hill for all eternity. One of Sisyphus' greatest crimes was that he had kind of captured death. And so he was not going to die, he was going to be consigned to do this for all eternity. And we think, you know, ignoring the fact that he thoroughly deserved his sentence, we think, oh dear, wouldn't that be terrible? To be sentenced forever to this futile labour of pushing a rock up a hill only to have it roll back down again and then you've got to go back and you've got to push it up the hill and roll back down again 
forever and ever and ever. And those, let me just say, by the way, that one of the privileges of being the preacher is that you get to preach the sermon that you need to hear. <laughs> so let me assure you, I'm preaching this to myself as well as to you. Those of us who in life have a great deal of comfort, privilege, access to power through affluence or education or success in our careers, whatever. Those of us who are so blessed and surely, or if not all, then most of us are, it's so tempting for us to think, well, if I was Sisyphus, you know, I'd, it, that, that boulder would roll down once, and then maybe it would roll down a second time, but then I'd say, forget that. <laughs> you know, if I can't enjoy this sense of accomplishment and achievement of ultimately getting to the summit, and then I can relax and congratulate myself, and the whole world will congratulate me for the success of my endeavors. Well, if I can't do that, well, to hell with it. And in any case, down here in the valley, we're cool and we're comfortable and things are pretty nice for us, so why would we put ourselves to that trouble? doing it again and again and again and never getting to the summit. What would it take for us to have a little shift in our thinking and start to think maybe the point of climbing that mountain, pushing the boulder up the hill is not to get it to the top so we can then congratulate ourselves and think what, what clever people we are. Maybe the whole point of being human <coughs> is to just push the boulder. Maybe the point is to commit to the task regardless of whether or not you get to the summit. Perhaps we will, but maybe we won't. It's so easy for us to give in to, the, to a, an attitude of comfortable despair. What a privilege it is to give in easily to despair. It's too much work. It might never happen. If it does happen, I won't live to see it. We might fail. I like succeeding, I don't want to fail, no, I won't bother. You know, I'll stay where it's comfortable and easy and familiar. What would it take for us who have so much to commit ourselves to a cause, a goal, a mission, a persistence, a persistence, a persistence to keep on going regardless of how many times that boulder rolled back down the hill. Brian mentioned in the introduction that I spent four years in the outback as a jackaroo on sheep and cattle stations and on one station in particular, this is a station of about a thousand square miles, there was a weed called 
the Bathurst burr, which had a burr that was like Velcro. And if a sheep brushed past it, the burr would come off the plant and attach to the, to the wool, very sharp prickly thorns, it made it very painful for the shearer when they were shearing the sheep. And on this one particular station, if we were out doing whatever, mustering or whatever we were doing, and if we, we would stop and dig it up. In the sure knowledge that probably a week or two later, if we were back in that same area, probably more Bathurst burr had grown. And I remember saying to the boss once as we were breaking up these birds, I said, why do we bother? You know, we're never going to get rid of it all. And I remember so clearly, this is 40 plus years ago, him saying, you know, you're right. We're never going to get rid of it. All I know is if we don't keep at it, before long, the whole property will be overrun with it. We can't guarantee success with our efforts. We can only guarantee failure if we don't make the effort. So what would it take for us, who have so much, for whom access to power, privilege, is so immediate that unless we get it immediately, we're so tempted to give up, so tempted to despair and say it's not worth the effort. We can't be guaranteed of success. What would it take for us to turn that around in our own heads as so many other people who have not had the kinds of privilege that we have had, have committed themselves sometimes their very lives to something beyond themselves, beyond that they would never reach. But they committed themselves to the effort of the betrayal, knowing that they would never get to see the summit, the promised land. Mother Teresa of Calcutta figure of history about whom there are many things not to admire, a great many also to admire. In her work with the poor in Calcutta was once asked, you know, why do you bother? You're never going to eradicate poverty in this huge teeming city. The few that you can help, there are millions others you're never going to help. To which she famously replied, replied that she was called not to be successful but to be faithful. What is it beyond yourself, beyond the immediate, beyond the comfortable, beyond the certain, that you are willing to be faithful to? <clears throat> no, many how, no matter how many times that boulder might roll down the hill and you have to start all over again. Do you give up or do you go back and you put your shoulder to the boulder and go again and again and again? What does it take for us who have so much, so much ease to really commit to that boulder?
Only you can answer. So may it be.